thank you for joining us again for this uh, time that we can celebrate the Lord and worship on this Lord's Day. Last week I spoke to you a new series out of the book of First Kings about Elijah. I entitled the series Life Lessons from Elijah. I preached from 1 Kings 18, all 40 verses. I told you the Bible story. If you missed that last week, I'm going to quickly summarize that story for you today. But when it comes to looking at the life of Elijah, there's so much there. And last week in the 40 verses, I gave you four different life truths that you could apply to your life. But I want to focus just on one verse that I really kind of skipped over last week. So let me set the table and give you the context, quickly tell you the story, and then we'll look at this one verse and make application to our lives. The story really begins with God calling Elijah to be a prophet, to be his man that would hear his word and speak his voice, his voice of truth. And God spoke to Elijah three years before 1 Kings 18, and he gave a word to King Ahab of Israel, and that word was that there would not be any rain. There would be a drought for as long as the Lord said so. It lasted three years, and God gave his word again to Elijah to present himself to King Ahab of Israel, and God said, I will then send rain once again. So Elijah obeys the Lord. He goes back to Israel. He presents himself to Ahab. They have a conversation. Ahab is quite um, upset with Elijah for what's happened to his country, yet Elijah issues a challenge. He says, you can take the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah, have them and all of Israel join me on Mount Carmel. And there Elijah issued to them a statement. He said, how long are you going to be going between two different positions, two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And then he issues the challenge to the prophets of Baal. He says, I'm the only prophet of the Lord left. The prophets of Baal are 450 in number. Uh, you can choose a bull. I'll take the other one. Place your bull upon your altar. I'll place my bull upon my altar. Then you call upon the name of your Lord. I will call upon the name of the Lord God. And the God who answers by sending fire, he is the true God. And all of Israel agreed that this was a good plan. And we find in 1 Kings 18 how the prophets of Baal call upon their god Baal all day long, but no fire comes. Elijah taunts them. They even begin to cut themselves with knives and swords. Their blood is gushing out. They're making quite the scene, but there's no response from Baal. Then we come to verse 30 of 1 Kings 18, and there is that key verse that I really skipped over last week because what Elijah did was he called all of Israel to gather close in to where he was, and then he rebuilds the altar of the Lord that has been thrown down. I focused really on the courage of Elijah. I focused on his fearlessness last week, his great prayer to the Lord, the people's response crying out, the Lord, he is God. I talked about we can't sit on the fence. We have to say either we're going to follow God or not. God has no place for us not giving our full allegiance to him. But the truth that I didn't emphasize last week is this one truth that's so critical for us. And it's the title of today's message. It is this, Rebuilding Your Altar. Rebuilding Your Altar. I, I skipped over this verse for many, many years until I heard a preacher preach on this some time ago. And I really love the emphasis on this verse that Elijah chose to rebuild the altar of the Lord. He could have started fresh. He could have built a brand new altar to God there on Mount Carmel, but he didn't. He found the altar of the Lord. So what, what was an altar? Well, it was a place that was established, that was built to bring glory and honor to God. 
this altar was there on Mount Carmel, we know from the Old Testament that people would hear from God. God would speak to them. God would speak to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they would build an altar, a place of worship, a place of remembrance to the Lord. Someone had had an encounter with God. Someone had given their praise, worship, and glory, their sacrifice to God upon that altar, but it was torn down. It was thrown down. And Elijah, instead of building a new altar, takes the Lord's altar, which was in disarray, and he rebuilds it with those 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He rebuilds an altar for the Lord. And that's the foundation that he uses for this incredible move of God, where God sends the fire upon that soaking wet offering and glorifies himself and leads all of Israel to see that there truly is the Lord God, the one God in all of Israel. So we're called by God, I believe, to rebuild our altar. I think what we're seeing in this day and time that we're living in with this coronavirus pandemic is that the Lord is really fast-forwarding that process for us. It's, it's as if we're a tree and God is shaking the entire earth to get our attention. And He certainly has. Calling us to reset, to rebuild our personal altars of worship. Many of us see what's happened over the past few weeks and it's been very difficult for many, many people all over the world. Many hardships, jobs being lost, financial problems. So many challenges we're facing. People that are sick, the great burden and stress upon our healthcare system, our doctors, our nurses, they all need our prayers and our support. But God is at work in all of this. You know, the Word of God tells us in Romans 8, 28, that our God can work all things together for good, and He is calling His church, He's calling the people of God for a reset. He's shaking us, getting our attention, calling us to rebuild our altars, our personal altars of worship and our church buildings. You know, for the longest time we said as pastors, the church is not the building, the church is the people. Yet now we have these buildings all over our country that are empty on Sunday mornings because we can't gather together yet without being uh, six feet apart. And so here we are, not in these buildings, yet many of us are feeling lost because we've lost that regular part of our Christian experience. But I believe God is at work in the midst of all of this, calling us to rebuild, to reset that altar, to repair that altar that we have established here in our church culture. You see, God is calling us to get the message of the good news of Jesus out to the world. And for the longest time, we, we simply have kept that message within the walls of the church building. And God is forcing us, forcing me as your pastor, to, to post messages online, to get that word out for all the world to hear, for all the world to see. And that's a good thing, for the gospel to go forth, for the truth of God's word to be proclaimed online and on television, for people to hear and see the message of Jesus is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Oh, it's uncomfortable for us, because we can't gather together. But God is wanting to reset uh, the altar, to rebuild the altar, even of family worship. How many families have really been worshiping together before this in their homes? Maybe not many. 
And now they're gathering together on Sunday mornings in their homes. They're singing praise songs. They're singing hymns. They're hearing messages from God's Word. They're praying together. How is this a bad thing? This is a great thing we should celebrate that our God is calling us to rebuild our family altars of worship. God is calling us to rebuild the altar of worship in our churches. And I believe that when we all come back together again, there's going to be a great movement, a great reset, a great rebuilding that God has done in the church of Jesus Christ, not just in the United States, but all over the world. So our God is calling us to rebuild this altar. Years ago, my wife and I were driving home Christmas travels. We lived at the time in Louisville, Kentucky, where I was a student at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're driving back from Christmas vacation with our families, and we're north of Nashville. We're in um, Kentucky. We're north of Bowling Green, there on I-65, and I'm driving in my Ford Thunderbird, just Jennifer and me. There's no Lauren, no Carson, no Andrew. We, we're pretty much newly wed, been married a couple of years, and there, my car, I hear a sound like an explosion in my engine. And basically, I have to pull the car over to the side of the road. It's shot. And I blew a head gasket, the engine, major engine damage. And there was no way that car was going to make it to Louisville, Kentucky. So a tow truck came and, and took the car to the closest little town. We called my family. We figured out what to do. We basically left the vehicle there. It was... Uh, least expensive the, the most least expensive route was to take a u-haul truck a one-way u-haul rental from that little town all the way back up to louisville and that's what we did and then my dad had a plan his plan was to come back up to that little town in kentucky with his truck and to pull the thunderbird back home to alabama and there my dad had the engine rebuilt and he sold that car because it was his investment to begin with years ago how foolish would it have been for my dad to have gone and got that car and replaced all the tires and gotten uh, new belts, new hoses for the engine, got an oil change, uh, transmission fluid for the car, and not have the engine rebuilt and try to sell that vehicle. Someone would buy that vehicle and it wouldn't even work. They would turn the key, it might start, but then the engine would sound terrible. It wouldn't even move on, on the road at all. And so it would be foolish to try to sell that car without rebuilding that engine. And here's what God is revealing to us in the midst of all this time that many of us now have as we're on shutdown in so many ways with work, with this shelter in place that we have. We're seeing that there's something wrong underneath the hood of our lives. That our engine, that most important part of our lives, our personal worship to God, that most important part of who we are as Christians needs to be repaired, needs to be rebuilt. And so many times we simply, uh, like that car, make it look good. We simply add a little Jesus to our week on Sunday mornings by coming to our worship services and small groups. Yet every other day of the week we're not um, keeping the fires of the altar of God burning hot, seeking God, praying, reading His Word. And God is calling us to rebuild the altars of our lives, to make sure that our engine is running well and God wants that for His church. He wants that for His people. He wants to make sure that we're rebuilding our altars and not just trying to worship God or add to a faulty altar that needs to be repaired. Our God is resetting. Our God is shaking us. Our God is getting our attention, and we should praise Him for that. There's a second truth I think we find, though, in this, this passage from this same verse in verse 30, and it's this. God knows that if we do not 
get rid of the idols in our lives, that those idols will demolish or throw down or shatter our true altar of worship to God. That's the only explanation I can come up with with why this altar was thrown down. Someone, a follower of Baal or Asherah or another god, saw this altar dedicated to the one true God of Israel and they tore it down, they threw it down and even replaced it perhaps with an altar to another God. It's the same way in our lives. If we have other things, other people that we give our affection, our attention to, our allegiance to, those altars will sm those idols will smash the altar of God. They'll throw it down in our lives. It's war. It's a battle for every believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ deserves full, utmost priority in our lives. We look at the life of Gideon in Scripture. Gideon was the most unlikely of all the judges. He himself felt like he was unwilling or unable to lead Israel to defeat the Midianites who were oppressing his nation. God sends the angel of the Lord to him. He criticizes the angel, asks why, why has the Lord not delivered us from the Midianites? When then the angel says, you're the person to do that, he says, I, I, I'm the least in my clan, I can't even do this. And he's constantly testing God. He, has, he fleeces God on more than one occasion. And in, in the book of Judges chapter 6, when we read about this encounter, he actually tests the angel saying, if you're really from God, let me go and get some items and bring them back. And, and so he goes and gets unleavened bread. He has a, a young goat. He brings the meat back. He lays that upon a stone in the alt. And there the angel uses a stick and touches the stone. And those items are consumed with fire and the angel of God disappears. And Gideon realizes this truly was the angel of the Lord. And he's actually terrified and grateful that he wasn't put to death for seeing the angel of the Lord. And God comforts him. God speaks to him. And he actually builds an altar, the Bible says, and names it, The Lord is my peace. But then the real test begins for Gideon. God's called him. God's proved himself to him. Now God says, Now here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to go to your father's house and I want you to tear down his altar to Baal. I want you to cut down his Asherah pole Put that wood upon a new altar that you're going to build to the Lord God and offer this bull as a sacrifice. Gideon is so afraid to do it during the day that he does it at night with ten of his servants. They wake up the next day, the men of the town, the people, his own family, and they're all in just utter shock at what had happened to the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole. But God calls Gideon. He says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to lead my people to freedom from the Midianites, we've got to make sure you get rid of the idols in your life. That's exactly what Gideon did. And God is calling us to cast down our idols. And God's already done that in so many ways through this COVID-19 pandemic. If you'd have told me that there wouldn't be March Madness and, and basketball and arenas all over our country to celebrate the, the NCAA college basketball tournament, I'd be like, that's crazy. That's never going to happen. There's too much money in that. There's too much buildup to that. These, these guys have careers in the NBA. How can that be shut down? But it was stopped just like that because of this pandemic. We give all this attention and emphasis to, to movies, but movie theaters shut down. Arenas where our, our favorite musical artists sell out to thousands of people in these crowds. None, none of that's happening. 
places of fun and leisure like Disney World, Disneyland, shut down. All these things that call for our affection, these things that call us for attention, they're all shut down. They're all not even offering their services to our society. How could this be? Our God is shaking us. Our God is resetting us. He is showing us, make sure you tear down those idols and make God the one true living God. I want to share a song with you in closing. It's called Give Us Clean Hands. And thanks to the beauty of technology, I'm going to magically appear with a stool and a guitar to sing this song to you. It's my prayer that God might give us clean hands of pure hearts and that we would not give our souls to anyone else but the one true living God.
When it comes to idolatry, we sometimes struggle as modern-day Americans thinking that something as ancient-sounding as idols, images on carved out of stone or wood, how can those things apply to us? That seems to be a problem that Israel had in the Old Testament, but how can that be a problem that we have in our modern society? Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, helps define for us what idols mean in our society, in our culture. I'm going to read directly from his book, Counterfeit Gods, by Tim Keller. He says, What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. He writes, a counterfeit God or an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. So as you can see, an idol is anything in life that can cause us to have more affection for it than the Lord Jesus. There are some idols like addiction that we know clearly we should not have in our lives, but some idols are actually good things. Good things that people that we love, our own families, but we cannot allow the good things to become the greatest thing in our life. That's reserved for one person and one person alone the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we think about rebuilding our altars, as we think about having a heart of worship for God, we must know that we cannot have anything in our lives that's in competition with Jesus because we learn from our passage today that those false gods, they will throw down the true altar of worship in our hearts. Would you please pray with me? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus today thanking you for the opportunity that we get to respond to the message from your word. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. We want to have hearts that are wholly committed to you. And we know that all around us are idols, false gods that beckon for us to come and give our time and energy to them. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to know what is most important in our lives, that we would elevate Jesus to be the King, the Master, the Lord of our lives. And God, I pray that you'll reveal to us right now anything or anyone that is vying for our affection, God. I pray that you will show us how to get rid of that idol, how we might restore and rebuild and repair the altar of worship in our lives. And not just for us, God, for our congregation and for the church of Jesus Christ all over the world. God, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that you're using this COVID-19 pandemic for your glory. And we ask that you would just do a mighty work in our lives and in your church. And that when we come back together, Lord, in the near future, that God, we will see great things you have done. We will testify of how awesome you are, God. Thank you for being our God. As we learned last week, Lord, you are God. We declare that. Let us now have no other gods but you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad you joined us for worship today. And we know that worship isn't just about an hour on Sunday. We know it's about living every moment of every day 
following Jesus and growing closer to God. Even through this different season of life we're all in right now, we want to find ways to connect with every person who is viewing this. Maybe that's through our Facebook page, our website, an email, phone call, or text. We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website for more information on ways to communicate with us.